Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. The Word of God speaks to us. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. This is God's Word to us. Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, um, I just want to take a second and pray for us. It was fun and faith-building for me this morning as we gathered before our service to pray, to listen to all the men and women in this room that since God's like saying, hey, I want to heal people, like not just in the city, not just in the world, not just like generally speaking, but brothers and sisters, that since God's saying, I want to heal people right now, and the, the sense that the burdens that we prayed into in the room were about physical healing, were about sickness that so many of us have running through our families. But as I worshiped with you and we sang together, um, I just had like a deepening sense of another thing God wants to heal in us this morning, literally this morning through his word and through his presence, is the way in which we have been harmed or damaged or broken through our minds in terms of what we think about what it means to be men, what we think about what it means to be women, and how we relate to one another. I, I, I mean, I think about my own life. I think about my own brokenness and the places where I just wish God would make things right inside of me that are bent or warped or crooked. And it led me to pray for you. And I just sense that God wants to bring healing to all of us this morning in terms of the way we think about how we're made and the way we relate to other people. So if you'll just let me pray that for us, then we'll dive into the text. Holy Spirit, I'm not, a, I'm not trying to be weird, but I am actually stepping out on a limb in faith. I ask that you would bring healing to households this morning where there is sickness. Would you bring healing to bodies, God, in this room right now, or maybe bodies that wish they could be in this room but aren't because of physical pain, backs that are seized up, joints that are stiff. And I ask living God that you would, as we hear your word this morning, as we're gathered in your presence as the saints, that you would heal not just our bodies, but you heal our minds. God, would you heal relationships that have been broken and damaged because of animosity and false perceptions about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman? God, would you do what I cannot do? <laughs> like, I can't raise my volume high enough or say things in a memorable enough way to actually do the kind of work that needs to be done in this room this morning. All of the problems that we carry in our body as men and as women, living God, you alone can heal. 
So I ask that you would even right now um, manifest your presence, oh God. Intensify our expectations. You know every single thing we need. You know people in this room that need to be comforted. You know the people in this room that need to be confronted. You know people in this room that the waters of their spirit need to be stirred and awakened. You know specific people in this room that need rest in specific ways. God, nothing is hidden from your sight. Nothing. There are men in this room that have committed sins they believe to be in secret and they've made vows in secret that they will never bring that to the light and never commit that sin again and even that vow is tormenting them. God, you want to heal them from that today. You want to bring forgiveness into their life. So let the light of your presence shine upon us, I ask, in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Hey, that's, that's just kind of what I'm going to be praying as we're together today, and uh, I'll ask that you join me in that, and if your mind is inclined to wander, as mine often is when I sit under someone else's preaching, um, that's okay. Your mind can wander with me today. That's cool. Just pray in those times where your mind wanders and ask God to correct inappropriate thinking in terms of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And you would unleash healing there. Man, uh, it's so, so good to be with you. I love you guys so much that I try to come here and hang out on days that I'm not preaching even. So it's, um, it's fun to be with you again. And if you're new with us or if you've been gone for a minute, I'll just tell you quickly what Andrew started last week. We're still in 1 Corinthians, but following some burdens that the Lord put on our elders, we're fast forwarding to the end of the book of Corinthians to focus on these two verses, this really one sentence where Paul speaks directly to men in the church at Corinth. And we're asking, how do we live as virtuous, holy, humble, godly men in our moment and time? And I know Andrew had um, a detailed, elaborate, really significant introduction that he prefaced all his words with last week. I'm not going to re-preach that to you, but if you missed it, you really do need to listen to that. And maybe if you were here, you should re-listen to that um, just to kind of get a sense of why we're doing what we're doing and the, the nuance required there. I, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to step in this morning, and I want us to focus specifically on this phrase when Paul says to the men in Corinth, act like men. What, what does that mean for us? And, and as a, a way of stepping into that question or answering that question, I want to show you guys a photograph of literally one of my favorite memories of all times. I, I have a photograph that I snapped of my kids, two of my kids, almost nine years ago today. Did, did I get that photo for you guys? Can you show it to them? Oh, it's there. Hi. Um, these, this is my oldest, Quinn, and my youngest, Lydia, and this is almost a decade ago at my sister-in-law Lizzie's wedding. Now, this moment is significant because my youngest was a baby, and my wife was the maid of honor in the wedding, which if you guys have ever had one of those days, 
worst day of a husband's life, it's also like a great day for a husband to realize like, oh, this is what my wife navigates every single moment of every single day. I'm changing diapers, I'm mitigating disputes and fights, and I'm trying to keep my ring bearer son and my flower girl daughter looking decent while taking care of another child who's an emotional basket case that can see mom in the front of the room but can't be close to mom. It was that day for me. Now, I had given my baby over to my wife in a free second she had because the child needed to eat. And in that moment, I took my bigs outside to play and just get a breath. And instead of having a moment of fun, it was a moment of tyranny. There were fighting between the two of them. My son was an emotional train wreck. We use the word emotional terrorist in our home. And that's what he was being. He, he was just being a disaster. And my three-year-old daughter grabs my son by his hand and she said, stop whining, stand up straight, act like a man. And this photo was snapped 10 seconds after that sentence was declared. And you see in his face the proper chastisement that a man has received from a woman. And you see my daughter being the strength of what she is. She is a force. And I was so humbled in that moment of, here's a three-year-old girl calling a five-year-old boy up to be a man. Act like a man, she said to her little brother. And it's, it's that statement that I want us to unpack this morning. Because something inside of my son knew that that call was legitimate. Something inside of him knew that it was legitimate. But the real question is, what does it mean to act like men? This statement that we see here in 1 Corinthians 16 is the only use of this verb in the entire New Testament. But this verb appears regularly throughout the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. I'm going to give you a couple of places where it occurs. If you want to look at it later, you can. You see this verb in Deuteronomy 31.6, Joshua 10.25, 1 Chronicles 28.10, Deuteronomy 31.23, Joshua 1.6. In all those places, the verb is translated, be strong and courageous. Now notice here in Paul's address to the Corinthian men, it's, it's translated, act like men. And the same verb elsewhere is translated, be strong and courageous. What does that mean? And I, I simply want to define masculinity for us this morning this way. When Paul says, act like men, masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. Masculinity means you gladly assume sacrificial responsibility. Masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. It means that to be a man says, I take initiative. I lead. Not in a domineering way. Not in a way that announces I'm the chief. Not in a way that forces other people to submit but in a way that looks around and says, what is needed in this moment, I will take initiative for it. I will sacrifice my own needs, my own desires to serve the greater good. 
I will protect those in the realm of my care. I will provide for those in the realm of my care. I will gladly assume sacrificial responsibility. What I want us to do today is I want us to just, like in a, in a really practical way, say, what does that look like? Now, I want to frame this with two scriptures that speak to everybody. Look with me, if you would, at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. And Paul says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. He's speaking to men and women here. So it's not as if gentleness is female and something else is male. Like this is the fruit of the Spirit in your life gives rise to gentleness, kindness, goodness, self-control, patience. Keep that in mind and turn over to Colossians chapter 3. I mean, I want to read this entire chapter, but I realize I'm on a clock. So I want to read with you verses 12 to 17 of Colossians chapter 3. And this is written to Christians, men and women. This is the word of the Lord to you, whether you are male or whether you are female. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. What does masculine meekness look like? Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, anytime you see in the Bible, it says above all, man, we gotta take a note. More important than everything else, Paul says. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Hey, it is critical This morning, when I'm going to speak to men about men in the presence of women, it's critical that we orient that conversation in the broader context of what it means to bear fruit of the Spirit of God and live life together in the family of God because there are masculine manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit and feminine manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit. But every single one of us are called towards compassion. Every single one of us is called to compassion. Every single one of us is called to, above all, more important than everything else, put on love. So my question for us in the broader context, brothers and sisters, is how do we live out this calling and how do we bear this fruit as men and as women? But specifically today, we're going to talk about how we bear this fruit as men. Now, at Frontline last week, we hosted a group of young church planters, which we do 
regularly. It's such an amazing thing to be part of a church that's more interested in giving what God's given us away than trying to keep it for ourselves. There was a group of five church planters that were here Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday last week. They'll be back Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday next week. Um, And in the midst of a powerful conversation, one of these men broke down and wept. And they said, my whole life as a child, my dad beat me for doing wrong. And he said, but my dad never told me what the right way was or what the right thing to do was, or how to do the right thing in the right way. So this morning, instead of like pouring condemnation on you, brothers, for doing wrong, I want to, under the authority of God's Spirit, under the authority of God's Word, exhort you, and hey, this is the right thing. This is the right way to do the right thing. I want to talk about what does it look like to act like men. And I have 10 things I want to exhort you with. You're like, my gosh, a 10-point sermon? (laughs) Hawk said earlier, so what you mean is we're having one service today. I'm like, yep, the nine gets points one to five, and the 11 gets points six to 10. There will be three poems and 10 points. No, I'm just going to give you 10 exhortations. Some of them will be quicker than others, but if you're note takers, there's 10 of them. And ladies, I long for you to hear this just as profoundly as the men do because what we need, what we need is sisters and moms who will look at us lovingly and go, hey, act like a man. And we need women that will live with the expectation that men act as men, not with bitterness towards the men for not acting like men or not with animosity towards the men for acting like men. We need women in our body to say, hey, act like a man. Act like a man. Some of the core of my words for you this morning come not just from God's word, but from a loving woman in her 60s who has been like a mom to me that's exhorted me according to these words. And I have a great mom that loves Jesus and taught me the scriptures and helped me as a child memorize passages of the Bible that are still in my heart today. So I have a spiritual mom, I have a godly mom, and I have spiritual sisters that have walked with me. So ladies, this isn't just me talking to the men about men. This is God speaking to all of us of what's required for us to live as the family of God. But brothers, these are words for you. Ten things it means to act like a man. Number one, to act like a man means not to act like a woman. That's actually pretty simple. For Paul to say, act like a man means do not act like a woman. Now, here's what we got to remember. Every single thing God creates is good and blessed by God. So this isn't a value statement of don't be an idiot. It's not like Paul is using woman as something negative here. He's actually saying in this moment, men, you need to act like what God has made you to be. And this, this is not a statement about stereotypes, about who cooks and who cleans and who repairs stuff and who drives the car and who sits shotgun. In fact, one of your pastors told me a story this week that so deeply blessed my soul. I'm not gonna say who it was because I don't wanna embarrass Andrew, but, but Andrew told this story 
about hearing this noise, this loud noise in his home and going in and seeing Hillary having completely dismantled the toilet and repairing the toilet. And he's like, I was literally wearing an apron cooking dinner at the moment. (laughs) This isn't about stereotypes. When Paul says, act like a man, he's not saying you eat beef or something else. He's talking about initiative. He's talking about initiative to guide, to uphold, to lead, to serve, to protect. He's talking about the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. To act like a man requires you to have your eyeballs open and look around you and say, what does God desire in this moment? What is the reality of this moment? And how can I use everything God's given me to fill in the gap? That, that's what it means to act like a man. It means looking around and saying, how can I serve? It means looking around and saying, how can I sacrifice? It means looking around and saying, how can I marshal all the gifts that I have to move this thing forward and advance this according to God's purposes? Let me get real practical, men. When, when Paul says act like a man, he means when you're watching TV with your family and something unsavory comes on, you change the channel. Not complain about your wife wanting to change the channel. And I say that as a guy who has, like, embarrassingly lower moral standards than my wife when it comes to television. Like, my wife is just rightly troubled by things that don't trouble me. But you know what? It's my job to change the channel, not my job to wait to see if she's going to. I I took my family to a movie several years ago that I'm horrified that I did this. If my kids were here, they would be laughing because we vowed as a family never to speak of this moment again. But I sat in the movie and I kept thinking to myself, I mean, if this was really as bad as I kind of think it is, Katie would tell us to leave. That's not her job, actually. When Paul says act like a man, he's saying, hey, you get your family up and walk them out of the movie if it's contrary to God's will, God's purposes, God's plan, God's glory. That's not a woman's job. That's a man's job. Hey, act like a man means you sacrifice looking like an idiot to walk your family out of the movie. Hey, men, to act like a man means if our finances are short, we ask what can we do? What sacrifices can we make? What spare jobs can we take on to meet the gap in our family instead of just expecting our wives to go to the grocery store with the same amount of money or less amount of money and buy the same things? Or maybe we shouldn't expect our wives to go to the grocery store anyway. Maybe for us to act like a man say, not only will I meet the gaps, I will be the one to suffer in this season at the grocery store. Hey, brothers, to to act like a man means that when it comes to the discipline of your children, you take responsibility for that. It it doesn't mean you discipline and your wife doesn't. It means that you don't create this good cop, bad cop scenario in your home where mom does one thing and dad does another, or mom has one standard or dad has another, or dad doesn't even honor mom's standard, and dad undermines mom behind her back all the time with his own immature behavior. This is like the Berenstein Bears, if you remember like dad telling the kids they can't eat candy and then eating candy. Or dad hearing the mom tell the kids they can't eat candy and dad hiding and eating candy himself. It means to act like a man means you will sacrifice your desire to eat candy in order to uphold the standard that's been set for the children in this moment. Do do you get what I'm talking about? And it means that like your wife appreciates your presence in your home, not she's going, oh, how many hours till he goes to work? 
How many hours till we go to bed? Hey, and if you're a single man, I, I'm not just making applications to men with children, or if you're married and you don't have children, to act like a man means you're always looking around and saying, what does righteousness require here? What does holiness require here? What does God delight in here? And how can I move towards that and invite other people to come with me towards that? All of them won't be that long. Don't act like a woman. Hey, men, to act like a man means, secondly, don't act like a child. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put away those childish things. Hey, brothers, please hear something from the heart of a guy who has failed miserably as a man and who longs to grow with you and who longs to see God raise up a new generation of holy, humble, hungry, happy men at Frontline Church. Like, you're only young for a short time. You can be immature for a lifetime. Oh God, would you move among the men in this room such that we understand that to act like a man means we don't act like a child. Number three, don't act like an animal. When Paul says act like a man, he means don't act like a woman, don't act like a child, don't act like an animal. What do I mean? Animals are driven solely by their own desires. Anyone have a dog? Anyone have a dog? Okay. Anyone have a cat? Men, don't answer that question. I'm talking about masculine things, not, not cats. Hey, here's the thing. You're, you may have trained your dog so unbelievably well, but even the training of your dog to suppress its desires is built on its deeper desires, and your dog's desires, however much you love them, however loyal you think they are, your dog's desires in the end will prevail. Do you want me to tell you maybe a dark secret that you already know? If you were to die alone in your house with your dog, your dog would eat you. You're like, not Fluffy. Yeah, Fluffy would eat you and probably start with your face, statistics tell us. Hey, so I read this, I read this secular book in the last couple months from a Harvard historian about households in the Reformation. And listen to this statement. He says, the man of the house was expected to be steady, a model of self-control, and able to moderate his own appetites and drives. Which is to say, to act like a man means you don't act like an animal. You don't put your self-desires above everything else, and you don't make everyone else bend toward your appetites. Don't act like an animal. Number four, don't act like a robot. Don't act like a robot. I have a friend that runs a ministry for men called Ten Man Ministries. Think back to the Wizard of Oz. What was the ten man missing? What did he want? Say it louder. A heart. So my friend Jeff is like, hey, I, I want to help men connect with their hearts and not just live out of their heads and not just live like robots. Where when we see someone upset or when we experience brokenness in a moment, we don't go, well, what's the matter with you? Or we don't go, I, I, hey, don't you understand? I didn't mean to do that. That wasn't the thing. I didn't mean to do that. And you're like, hey, can we, brothers, to act like men means we're actually engaged, connected to our hearts. We're not just living like robots. Now, it doesn't mean we're driven by our emotions. To act like a man means I'm rooted in the truth. 
but I'm actually aware of emotions around me, my own and the emotions of others. Don't act like a robot. Pay attention. Have your heart be attentive. Have values that you operate from. I'm going to say this a lot of times this morning. Have values that you operate from so that you're not just reacting to what other people tell you to do. A a robot just does what it's programmed to do. But a man says, I've built my values on the rock of the truth of who God is for me in Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7, by the way, when he talks about building your life on sand versus building your life on the rock. To build your life on a rock says, I will create my worldview and my values such that I operate and can respond out of who, the, who I am in Jesus Christ and what the world means in light of his presence, his kingdom, his redemption. And then I don't have to just like, rea- like react. I can respond. Don't be a robot. Number five, don't act like a ghost. You're like, really, are all these gonna be negative? Well, I think sometimes like to understand what we're supposed to be we have to understand what we're not supposed to be. Don't, don't act like a ghost. Ghosts are invisible. And you're like, hey, man, ghosts aren't real. Do I have to help you with that? Let's just walk with me for a second. Ghosts can't be seen. Ghosts operate in the shadows. Ghosts have no firmness about them. Now, that's what Jesus says after he's risen from the dead. He's like, hey, I'm not a ghost. Touch me. I got a real body. You're not just seeing things. But the reason why I felt burdened to say this to you is there are some of us men that we weren't given a firm identity as a child. And because we've never been certain about who we are or what we're supposed to do or what we're good at or what we're not good at, our ambition in every situation has been, can I just disappear? And some of you have disappeared by getting into sports Some of you have disappeared by becoming great welders. Some of you have disappeared by being more successful than all your other friends and all these other ambitions. But you actually aren't standing up and standing in what God's made you to be. So many men just want to like float through a room and never come into contact with anything solid. But if we want to be obedient to God's word and if we want to act like men, it means you cannot disappear you actually have to say, this is who I am. This is who God's made me to be. This is what God's gifted me to do. And I can use my gifts to bless others. And I can willingly sacrifice my desires to serve others. But in order to do that, you have to actually appear in a room. Some of you have disappeared by being good. And some of you have disappeared by being bad. But the word of the Lord to you this morning is, Act like a man. You don't get the liberty to be a ghost. God requires you to be a real boy, a real person, and to stand up and say, how can I steward what God's given me to bless people as a real man? And hey, I've had this burden for you all week long. Some of you, I suspect, have such a history of sin in your past, both the sins of others towards you through abuse at a young age, and the way in which you navigated that sinfully, perhaps sexually as a man, that you are so gripped with shame that you have literally disappeared. And you may be in the room now, but your hope is at every moment of every day that nobody ever sees you or experiences you. If shame has caused you to retreat that far back into the shadows, 
Can I speak a word of love to you today and tell you God wants to make you solid? God doesn't want you to be a ghost. And if that's you, I would love to pray for you after the service today. You you don't have to live that way. To live as a ghost is a tortured, lonely experience. Don't act like a ghost. Here's a positive one. You're like, are you ever going to be positive? Yep. Number six, be courageous. I could have said don't act like cowards, but I wanted to be positive. (laughs) Be courageous. The other reason why I say be courageous is that's what Paul means when he says be strong. When he says act like men, be strong, all the language he's conjuring is about courage. Because to be a man requires that you conduct yourself in a courageous way. To be a man means that you don't vacillate. To be a man means that you don't compromise even when there's danger. To be a man means that you don't vacillate even when there's real risk of pain and loss. Be courageous. Have physical courage. And in order to do that, you have to actually be strong. You have to actually work your body and be strong. Cultivate in your life, brothers, physical courage. Cultivate emotional courage. Hey, I know guys that like, are, look like bodybuilders. They're like the most physically strong people I've ever seen, yet they tyrannize their home because they have no emotional strength or courage at all. Hey, brothers, have you labored to look good in the gym, but you actually have no emotional fortitude at all? The word of the Lord to you today is you need to get as zealous about cultivating emotional courage as you have about cultivating physical courage. And God can do that for you. There are other men and other women around you that can help you. I want to see men at Frontline Church with toughness of spirit and firmness of purpose and fortitude. Fortitude. That's a word we don't hear very often, is it? It's not a word that's like popular in a TikTok world because TikTok doesn't cultivate fortitude. But let me, let me give you the definition of fortitude. It's firmness of strength of soul that faces danger with courage and bears loss and pain without complaint. Fortitude, I'm gonna read it again. A firmness, of, firmness and strength of soul that faces danger with courage and bears loss and pain without complaint. Men in this room, men of God, be courageous. Men of God, be strong. Men of God, have fortitude. And hey, it is impossible, it is impossible to have fortitude when you are encumbered by sin. It's impossible. And and, and I don't mean the sin that we just bear in our body by nature of our fallen humanity that we won't experience the full deliverance of until Jesus returns. I mean besetting sins. I mean sins that we entertain and make friends with. That's why the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 talks about casting off every temptation and sin that so easily entangles us so that we can run. That's fortitude. And hey, man, we need fortitude and we need strength because we need to fight. That's a real thing. 
To be a man as a Christian will require you to fight. Paul talks in 1 Timothy about the fight of faith. It's a fight just to be a Christian, but we also have the fight of spiritual warfare. And there is time in our world when men have to say, no, that's wrong. No, that can't be done. Which means, brothers, there will be time that we have to fight. Now, you've got to grasp this because I failed this a ton as a younger man. You fight because of who and what you love. If you love to fight, then you need to be chastened by God. When Paul outlines the, the guidelines for elders in 1 Timothy 3, if you roll back to the King James Version, he talks about not being a striker. I think maybe in ESV it's like someone who's not contentious. If you're looking to fight, we've we got to reorient your loves. Because God has made you to fight, but you fight for what you love. You don't love to fight. That's why we need to be strong. I could preach a sermon on that one. Seven, don't act like a superhero. I've just told you that the word of the Lord to you is be strong, be courageous, have fortitude. But nowhere in the Bible will you find a single command that tells you to wear a cape. Nowhere in the Bible will you find a single command that says, hey, do not have a single flaw. And if you want me to state it positively, to act like a man means you, you don't, well, you, you stand in the sufficiency that God is for you, not your own self-sufficiency. And that, that includes your weakness. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when we're out of here because I don't have time to read it and, and just hear what Paul says about God's sufficiency for him in the place of his weakness. And to, to be a man and to be a virtuous, godly, holy Man means we're laboring to cultivate strength and courage and we're laboring to be honest in our places of weakness. We're laboring to be honest in our places of weakness. I, I witnessed a group of men several weeks ago speak to one another and one guy just stood up in the midst of this group and looked at another man who was struggling particularly and he said, hey, I get scared too. These are men in their 40s. And another man stood up and looked at him and said, I, I, I don't know what to do with my past either. And, and the, the sense was these men are trying to bolster courage in this man to say, hold fast to God and who he is for you. The call of a man isn't to be self-sufficient. The call of a man is to trust Jesus. That's number seven. Number eight, don't be surprised. I just want to put three scriptures in your face and go, hey, 1 Peter 4.12, this is the word of the Lord. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. James chapter 1, verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Ephesians 6, right? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Okay, the Bible has just told us that we face a real demonic power that seeks our demise. The Bible has just told us that we have trials that are coming our way. The Bible has just told us that we should do a different kind of math such that when we experience trials, we rejoice in them. Jesus tells us in, in the Sermon on the Mount to rejoice when people speak ill of you for his name. Now, all those come together to go, hey, don't be surprised when life is hard. Don't be surprised when there's opposition to the things of the kingdom. Don't be surprised when you suffer and sacrifice 
for doing the will of God. The Bible says on every page we will face opposition. Jesus is like, hey, man, they kill me. What, what do you think they're going to do to you? Because he was perfect and holy and the son of God. And like, you're, I mean, you're awesome, but you're a little bit less than that. He says, hey, if they killed me, if they persecuted me, what are they going to do to you? Don't be surprised. But what is it about us, men, that when it comes, we're surprised and we lose our minds and operate out of the shock instead of going, no, God told me this was going to happen. We can be calm. We can have our hearts engaged. We can be courageous. We won't act like animals. We can look around and steward this like men. That's number eight. Number nine. Hey, we, we should get time to camp out on this on another day. Number nine, this is very dear to me, and it better be dear to all of you. If you want to act like a man biblically, you have to tell the truth about your dad. You have to tell the truth about your dad. You know what you should do as an exercise this week, men? Go read the genealogies in the Bible that you always skip over. Right? You get happy when you come to those places in your Bible reading plan because like, whew, check the box today. I don't have to read any of that because I'm skipping the genealogies. He's like, a bunch of people that have nothing to do with me. But you know what genealogies tell us among a thousand things? Listen to this. Every man comes from a man. That's what the genealogies tell us. Every man comes from a man. And every man comes from a man that comes from a man that comes from a man, which means you have a father and you have a great-grandfather. And, and in order to be a man, you have to tell the truth about your dad. You have to come to terms with your own dad. Is your dad godly? Is he ungodly? Is your dad the kind of man you want to be like? Is your dad the kind of man you want to be nothing like? If you want to be a man, you have to tell the truth about the man that you came from. And hey, you do not have to suffer the entirety of your life under the failures of your father or his abuse or the things he didn't give you. You can start today asking God your father, to give you the things that your earthly father never did. But you don't have to suffer under his failures for the entirety of your life, nor do you have to try to climb to reach his success. You just have to tell the truth about him and ask God to be for you what your earthly father was never designed to be for you. Which, brothers, some of you, like today, the way you start telling the truth about your dad is to forgive him. Some of you, the way you start telling the truth about your dad, the way you step into becoming a man today is you let your dad off the hook and be like, oh, I put you in the place of God in my life. You could, you could have never been that for me. Dad, I made demands on you that only God alone can fulfill. This isn't about you forgiving him. This is about you asking him to forgive you. You gotta tell the truth about your dad. You have to tell the truth about your dad. Sins of generations can be broken in one decision. Do you know that? That God could break the power of generational sins in your life right now. Right now. I have a good friend that he, even after he met Jesus, was a womanizer, treated women terribly. And he said to me one day in tears, man, what am I supposed to do? My dad was a womanizer. My grandfather was a womanizer. They taught me how to seduce women. They taught me how to mistreat women sexually. And I said, what you're supposed to do is 
Don't blame your disobedience on your father. Today, hear the voice of your heavenly father and be obedient to God. And today, you can break that curse. Which your son can say, by God's grace, my father taught me how to honor women. His father didn't teach him the same. Because check this out. If you read, I wrote it down because it always blows my mind. If you read Joshua 24.2, in just this throwaway statement, Joshua 24.2 tells us that Abraham's father was a dirtbag idol worshiper. Abraham's father was a godless man. But that didn't excuse Abraham from hearing the voice of God and obeying it. See, Abraham couldn't say, well, God, perhaps you don't understand. My father is a, is a dirtbag and an idol worshiper. No, Abraham could tell the truth about his father and he could be obedient to God. Oh, brothers, it does not matter who your father was. It only matters that God is your father. What, what would happen in your life today if you stood in that power? What would happen in your life today if you stood in that power? Ten. Did you ever think we were going to make it to the end? The roast is burned in the oven. Number 10, and this is as important to me as anything else. Don't act like God's finished. To act like a man means you don't act like a woman. You don't act like a child. You don't act like an animal. Should we go through all? Let's go through them all. It means you don't act like a robot. You don't act like a ghost. You're courageous. You don't act like a superhero. You're not surprised. You tell the truth about your dad. And then to act like a man means that you don't act like God's finished. Paul tells us in Philippians 1, right, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Hey, brothers, there are places in your life where you will have seasons of unbelievable joy and success, even in kingdom terms, not just in earthly terms. And there will be seasons of your life of darkness and travail and failure and defeat. And in those moments, the way you live as a man and the way you act like a man is you stand up in the midst of brokenness, you stand up in the midst of sin, you stand up in the midst of failure and say, God, you have promises for my life that you will bring to completion. And even though I only see the mess I've made of my life in this moment, I will walk forward believing that you make good on your word. God, even though I fail in my word, you will make good on your word. It means that you don't have to live under the plague of shame or under the bondage of pride. And those are the two places we go. As men, we either think we're hitting it out of the park and batting a thousand or we're utter failures when neither one of those are ever true. Neither one of those are ever true. And here's the thing. What God promises to complete in you, he will. And it leads God to tell a story about you that's different than the one you tell about yourself. Romans chapter four, I think, when Paul's talking about Abraham, he says, Abraham never wavered in unbelief. Do you know the Bible at all? Like, I, I read that and I laugh. Never wavered in unbelief. And the, the, the pastor under whose preaching I came to faith in the early 90s would always say, um, in my house, we call that wavering. Like, Abraham failed all over the place, but the story God was telling about Abraham says, no, hey, in the grand scope of his life, through God's grace in his life, he didn't waver at all. God's not finished with you. That, that's what he's doing. Don't act like God's finished. That means we can literally, instead of living in the prison of shame or the prison of pride and self-righteousness, brothers, we can laugh at ourselves. 
What would frontline church be like if you could laugh at your failure? Not in a way that made light of it. You could like stand up and own failure, own sin, repent of sin, and, and laugh at yourself and be like, man, so messed up am I that the God of the universe had to die for me. I want to close with this. I scrawled this down. I always carry a notebook in my pocket. And I scrawled this down in a notebook I carry in my pocket. I have no idea where it came from. But this sentence, man, has haunted me and blessed me and bolstered my courage. Someone somewhere said this. Evil abounds absolutely everywhere. How men respond to its presence determines the survival and well-being of a society. Evil abounds absolutely everywhere. How men respond to its presence determines the survival and well-being of a society. Brothers, act like men. Be courageous. Trust Jesus. Understand that they can fire you. They can cancel you. They can kill you. But they cannot erase your name from the Lamb's book of life. They cannot change your standing in the presence of Almighty God. Today is the day for us to stand up and walk in all the fullness of all that God is for us in Jesus. Would you stand with me? I want to pray over us and I want to move to communion, which is a simple truth. The simple truth I want to move to communion is, is like the greatest hope you have in this life is not your ability to live as a man. The greatest hope you have in your life is that God sent his son into the world to live as a perfect man. And this perfect man who never sinned, who lived perfectly as a man, offered himself as a sacrifice for your masculine failure and for your feminine failure. Our only hope as men or as women is in the ultimate man, Jesus Christ, who came into our world to seek and to save us. If you, if you look to his broken body and his shed blood, his righteousness, his death, and his resurrection for your life, then you're a Christian. I invite you to come and celebrate communion with us. Because on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup of wine. And to remind us that our hope isn't in our behavior, he gave us something that has an incredible he said, hey, smell that wine. Every time you drink it, remember my death for you. So Jesus, I just ask now, I ask that you would actually intensify our delight and dependence on your life, your death, your resurrection. Give us real hope through your real life, your real death, and your real resurrection. Brothers and sisters, before we come, I just want to like open up a time that this could be about celebration of communion together and prayer ministry together, asking the Spirit of God to minister to us through the elements and through the hands and hearts of those around us. Which, brothers, this may be a, a moment just for you to respond. Say, God, there's one thing maybe that the Spirit of God has brought to your mind, and you want to say, God, well, can I take ownership and responsibility by your grace by that today? Maybe the right thing for you to do is just like to walk forward, to move your body. And let's pray together. Let's acknowledge that together. Where I've just sensed all week, men, that there are some of you that have, you have um, vows you've made in your heart in the past that are killing you. They've sounded like, I'll never be like him. I'll never do that. I'll never tell anyone. 
If you have those vows, God wants to release you from those vows today. Maybe there's other vows that you need to take today. You need to pledge yourself to God. And all that we can do now. So whenever you're ready, there's servers that are ready to serve you communion, and there are people that you can grab that would be ready to pray for you.